The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open them to Matthew chapter 19, 19th chapter of Matthew. And I'm uh, sure that there are some of you that joke about how long that we've been in the gospel of Matthew, and I've heard some of your jokes. Um, we have been here a long time, but I think that we can say we, we've not run short of Bible topics to, to speak about. There's, we haven't had a dearth of information about Bible topics. And that's because Jesus covered a lot of areas uh, during his ministry, and Matthew gives us the scope of his teachings. And I don't really think there's a better place that we can go to, to learn than from the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we find in Matthew uh, just many different places that we can go off into other scriptures where we find further explanation of God's word. Well, as we return to Matthew chapter 19 today in our text verses, we're going to use these verses as a jumping off point to other areas. And I want to talk to you today about children and some of the common questions that are asked about how that God deals with children. So if you look at Matthew chapter 19, and I will ask you to stand once again as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 13. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Help us as we look into this uh, subject this morning, as we think about children. We're just so uh, blessed to have children and, and, Lord, just to be able to raise them, to learn about you. Help us to do all that we can to raise our children in the right way and bring them to the knowledge of Christ. Bless us as we speak on this subject today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we talked about this text last week, and in this particular portion of Scripture, we see that parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch them and pray for them. And they weren't necessarily looking for anything supernatural to happen. Uh, They weren't necessarily looking for some power in his touch that he could impart anything to these children. But this was a custom of the Jewish people that they would bring their children to the great rabbis to receive a blessing from them. Now, the Jewish people were superior in their education of their children, their religious education, and they took very seriously to heart the words that were spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we call the Shema. And in those scriptures, they were told that they were to teach their children diligently, that they were to rehearse the commandments of God frequently with them, and they did this twice each day, once in the morning and once in the evening, the Jewish parents would teach their children the Shema, and they would give them many, many opportunities to hear the Word of God. And they started these children at a very young age. 
Now, we noticed last week this same passage is in the book of Luke, and there Luke tells us that these were infants that were brought to Jesus. He used the word, the the Greek word that's interpreted uh, from the word that gives us the word fetus, and so that tells us that the children that were brought to Jesus were very young children. They were little children, many of which... uh, were not capable of understanding what was going on or even to remember that Jesus had given them a blessing. And there's a great lesson that Christians can learn from that. If Jewish parents were so concerned about teaching their children the old covenant laws that we find in the Old Testament, then surely the parents of Christians today, knowing the new covenant and what Christ has come to do, We really ought to be very concerned about giving our children religious education, showing them the way of Christ and teaching them how they can be saved. The Bible teaches us that children are the heritage of the Lord and God has given children to us for safekeeping and for his glory. And I really do believe that the worst of all child abuse is to neglect children and not tell them about Christ. They have eternal souls. And as we'll see in our lesson today, that it would be better that God would take children in their infancy, take them away from us, than it would to allow them to grow up and never know about Christ and never encourage them to receive Christ as the Savior. Well, that's a lesson learned from this passage. And that brings me to some questions that people ask about children And we notice in this text that Jesus said, suffer little children, that means allow them, allow little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now the first question that I think comes out of this text would be this, are children in the kingdom of God? What did Jesus mean when he said, for of such is the kingdom of heaven? And I'll start by reminding you that kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are synonymous terms in the scripture. Uh, The kingdom of God speaks of his domain. The kingdom of heaven speaks of the character of the kingdom. But basically we're using interchangeable terms when we say kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. So what did Jesus mean when he said that of such, are, such is the kingdom of heaven? Did he mean that children are in God's kingdom? Well, we touched a little bit on that last week, and there are some children that are in the kingdom of God, but these are children that have been able to understand, to come to learn that Jesus is the Savior and to put their trust in him, then they enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I want to talk about the conversion of children in just a few minutes, but for now, I will tell you this, that the Bible does not teach that little children are in the kingdom. I know that might be hard for some of you to swallow, but the Bible teaches that your innocent little babies are not really all that innocent. It tells us that they're born with a sinful nature. And although they may not be old enough to uh, consider what sin is, to consciously know that they have sinned, yet the Bible teaches that every child has a sinful nature, and this is what keeps us out of the kingdom of God. And so something has to be done with that sinful nature before anyone gets into the kingdom of God. And so children have to be regenerated, and they have to be given a new nature of Jesus Christ. Now, it is true that those of us that are saved, that we still have our old nature in us. 
Now, we're saved, we're given a new nature that's according to the nature of God, a new nature that's imparted in salvation, but the old nature still dwells in us. And we're not going to get rid of that until we leave this life, until we receive a glorified body and we're in heaven. And so for the time being, what God does is to allow the sinful nature to cohabit our body so that a Christian has the sinful nature and also the nature of God. And it's the nature of God, it's that part that makes him fit for God's kingdom. And so when Jesus says here, for if such is the kingdom of heaven, what it's referring to are the physical characteristics of children that are demonstrations of how the spiritual being must be before we can enter into the kingdom of God. Now earlier, Jesus said in the previous chapter, he said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he meant that unless you come in the humility of a child, unless you come with readiness to believe as a child, with the trusting nature of a child, with the submissiveness of a child, with the unpretentiousness of a child, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what he was teaching them was exactly the opposite of where where they were right then. Because they were seeking position, they were jockeying for their place in God's kingdom, they wanted to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, so they didn't have characteristics of little children, the humility and all of that that they needed to have. Now, a little child doesn't pursue an agenda like that. He doesn't look for his own greatness. He doesn't worry about or think about the commendation of others. He doesn't think about the jealousy that others might have over his position. Those are things that are not in his thoughts. And so in this sense, the disciples must be like children. And Jesus is not saying here that these children that were brought to him were in the kingdom. This is what David wrote in the Psalms. In Psalm 51, verse number 5, he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In the 58th Psalm, verse 3, he said, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Then Job wrote in Job 14, verse 1, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And then in verse 4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? Jesus said in John 3, verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 2, verse 3, he speaks to the uh, Jewish, or rather to the Gentile Christians at Ephesus, and he says, Among whom we all had our conversation or that is, the manner of our life, the way that we lived in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, all of those scriptures point out the fact that little children are not innocent, and that we all come into the the world in the same way. We come in with a fallen human nature. So spiritually speaking... All of us are born dead, and we're not in God's kingdom. And so God has to do a wonderful work of grace to bring us into his kingdom. Well, that would naturally raise, I think, the second question that we need to answer is what happens to babies when they die? Now, if children are not born into the kingdom, then what happens to little children if tragically they should die? Well, without doubt... 
the most traumatic event that could happen in the life of a parent is to lose a child. Now, many years ago, when my father was a pastor in the hills of Kentucky, there was a family in the church that had several children. And late one night, there was a fire in their home, and they were able to get all of the children out but three. And so there were three of their little children that perished in that fire. How do you comfort parents that have lost their children? Just a few years ago, a couple of years ago or so, our our good friend, Pastor Castro, down in the Central Valley near Bakersfield, there was a young child that, two years old, that walked behind the wheels of the church bus, and the church bus backed over and killed that little child. And you wonder, how do you deal with parents on that? I mean, could you just go to that parent and say, I'm so sorry, but your child died and went to hell? Is that how we would treat that? Well, that's a terrible tragedy. And I think the Bible is clear about this, about what happens to little children that are like that. Now, again, we started with David, who talked about how that he was born in iniquity. And we're going to go back to David. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel and chapter 12. And we want to talk about David for just a minute. Uh, David had lots of times of sin in his life. He suffered great tragedy. And you remember that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover up that sin by having her husband Uriah killed. And as judgment upon David, God said that the child that was born would die. Now, we would maybe say about that, God, that is so terrible. An innocent little baby, this baby died, and now that baby's in hell? Well, is that what David thought about it? Well, let's look here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He covered up the sin by having her husband Uriah killed. And so the prophet Nathan came to speak to David about this and tell him about God's judgment. And in verse number 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed into his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, 
While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now there we see that David knew that this child did not go to hell. He said that I will see this child again. He said, not in this life. He said, I know I can't see him again in this life, but I will go to him. So David believed that this little child was alive, that he was safe in heaven, that God had him, and that David would see the child again. Well, would ask, how does that happen? I mean, the child had a sinful nature. He's not born into the kingdom of God, so how did that happen? Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know exactly how it does happen because the Bible doesn't tell us. But somehow, in the atonement of Christ, he made a special provision for little children, and in death, he changes that child in order that it might be suitable for heaven. And so he cleanses the child of his sinful nature. Now remember, we serve an omnipotent, sovereign God. He knows everything that comes to pass. There aren't any situations that sneak up on him. And so he knows when every child will die. And if they've reached an age where, or have not reached an age where they can understand about faith in Christ, then I think the Bible is teaching us that God takes care of those little children. And so how do we comfort parents that lose a child? Well, if those parents are not Christians, God takes care of them. A child that's born into a non-Christian family might not ever hear the gospel. And when that child is taken, if he, he hasn't, hasn't reached an age where he can understand, then God takes that child to heaven. Now, if your children do not hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it would be far better for God to take them in their infancy because then we know for sure that they would be in heaven and not go to hell because of their rejection of the Savior. Now, for Christian parents, you have your faith in God. You know that God does all things well. And so if that child is taken, you know that he's in heaven, and eternal life in heaven is infinitely better than anything that we have here on earth. So you can imagine this that your child would be sitting in heaven, living in the riches and the happiness of that place. And so if you were to lose a child, that would certainly be a terrible thing to happen. But that child is far better off with Christ than he would be here. Well, that raises another question. Should we baptize babies? And you may wonder, well, how is that related? Well, it's related because there are some people that believe that this is the way that God takes care of the sin of a baby, that God allows the sins of a baby to be washed away in baptism. And that's why many people baptize children. This text, and also in uh, the 18th chapter in verse number 3, the 18th chapter verse number 10, these are places that are used for proof text for infant baptism. Now, you'll notice, though, that there's a problem with it, that you can read those texts, and you can read this one over and over and over again, and you'll not find baptism in any of these verses. In fact, you can search the Scriptures from one end to the other, and you'll never find a case where there was ever a baby that was baptized. So you think, well, how is it then that people come up with the idea that we should baptize babies? Well, they take it from inference, 
And that's because of what we call household baptisms. And let me show you an example of this. If you want to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16, we have the story of Paul and Silas who were in the Greek city of Philippi. And apparently there wasn't a synagogue there. If you know about the journeys of the Apostle Paul, then you understand that the first place that he would always go was to visit synagogues in the different cities where he went. But evidently there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, and so it was the practice of the Jews that were living in that city and the proselytes, Jewish proselytes, that they would go outside of the city near the riverbank, and there they would meet together and they would, they would pray. So Paul went outside of the city, and there by the side of the river he met a woman named Lydia. In verse number 13 of Acts 16, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household... She besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now we notice here that Paul baptized Lydia, and it says that he baptized the household. Well, what does that mean? Well, the household would be all the members of her family. It would mean those that were servants in that house, that Paul spoke the word to them and he baptized them. Now the reasoning goes that there must have been infants in the household. And so Paul would have baptized the infants that were there. But we don't know that. The Bible doesn't say anything about infants being there. We don't have any proof that Paul baptized any infants. And I think that we could still say that Paul baptized them all if he baptized most of those that were in the household, or many of them came to know Christ. We wouldn't be in error if we said he baptized the household. We would understand what he meant. Now, there are a few other scriptures that are like this, but none of them mention infants. So it's a poor practice for us to build a doctrine on some obscure scriptures that we're uncertain of. So we can't say that Paul ever baptized any babies or anybody else did. So why do Roman Catholics and others baptize babies? Well, the chief reason is because they're in error about salvation. They don't believe that infants that are not baptized will be in heaven because they believe the baptism washes away their original sin. Now, at least they do understand this, that we all are born in sin and we have a sinful nature, and they believe that that baptism washes away that sinful nature. And they say that an infant that dies without baptism will go to a place of happiness, but that child will be in a state of limbo and that he'll never come into the full fellowship of God the Father. Now, I have to tell you, I hate that doctrine on so many levels, but I don't have time to talk to you about that this morning. But I will say this, there is not a scrap of evidence anywhere in the Scriptures for any of that. That's not in the Word of God. Now, on the other hand, you have Protestants that baptize babies, and their feeling on it, most of them, is a little bit different. They baptize babies in order to believe, bring them into the covenant community of believers. So they would only baptize the infants of believers. And they believe that that brings them into the covenant community, that baptism brings them into the church. And so Protestant churches 
are filled up with unregenerate people, people that have never received Christ as Savior. Protestants also confuse uh, New Testament baptism with Old Testament circumcision. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of the covenant, the seal between God and the Jewish people. And so they say that in the New Testament, that baptism has replaced Old Testament circumcision, and that's now the new seal that we have a covenant with God. But you still have a problem. There's nothing in the Scripture about that. There is no infant baptism in any place of the Scripture. And you would think that if they were right about this, that the Word of God would be very clear about what we should do, that the Word of God would explain that because baptism is such an important part of the Christian faith. But we don't find it anywhere in the Scripture. So what does the Bible say about baptism? Well, we studied that a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, and so I I won't be long on it here. But everywhere in the New Testament where where people were baptized, the people were adults... Or, at least we know, they were of the age that they could have personal faith in Jesus Christ. That they were lost sinners, but they trusted Christ to save them. And then after they were saved, they were baptized. Now, you still have your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 16. On this same trip to Philippi, Paul and Silas met the Philippian jailer. Now, they'd been put into jail for preaching the word of God. And so God sent an earthquake during the night and broke open the prison doors and the chains and the bonds fell off of Paul and Silas. And so the jailer thought that all the prisoners had escaped. But then he learned that none of the prisoners had left. Paul and Silas said, we're all here. And so the jailer knew that this was something that was done by God and that Paul and Silas were God's servants. And so he came to Paul and Silas. Verse 29 says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Verse number 34, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. Now listen, believing in God with all his house. So the jailer believed in Christ, the members of his family believed in Christ, and here it says that the household was baptized. And that's the same as all other baptisms that we find in the New Testament. They're all just like this. There are people who have put their faith in Christ. And so we don't baptize babies. It wouldn't do a baby any good, and it's demeaning to the real purpose of baptism. Now, what we do is that we will dedicate babies when parents of members of the, or that are members of the church have a little baby. They bring them to church, and we dedicate them to the Lord. We don't make any promises. We don't say that they're going to be saved. We don't do anything as far as that's concerned. But we give parents the opportunity to say, I'm dedicating my child to the Lord. They publicly give them to the Lord and promise that they'll raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, just like Scripture commands. Well, the next question concerns older children. Now, since they're no longer babies, then when do they reach the age where these 
unusual, this unusual provision of the atonement, the regeneration that takes place when a baby dies, when do they reach the age that that's no longer, that no longer applies to them? So the fourth question is, what is the age of accountability? Now, some of you may have never heard that term. Uh, you won't find it in the Bible. But let me frame this. This is just a word that we use, accountability, the age of accountability. So let me frame this according to what we've already learned. Now, the Bible says that we are all born in sin. There's nobody that gets into the kingdom of God by their physical birth. We also know that when babies die, they go to heaven. And that's because in some miraculous way, God has taken care of their souls. As I've just described, he regenerates them. There's a provision in the atonement for them. But at some time, the child passes the time when he's protected by that special provision. And so he reaches an age when he's responsible for his sin. And if he's not trusted Christ, if that child should die, then the child would go to hell. Now, that is a very scary thought for parents. And you ought to pay close attention to what I have to say next. Now, one of the reasons that we know that children are not born into the kingdom of God, and we've spoken about the sinful nature, that's a reason, but we also know this, that the Bible never says that there was anyone that was ever kicked out of the kingdom of God. Once you're in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of God. And so if a baby was born in the kingdom then at some point, because of unbelief, he would have to be kicked out of the kingdom. Well, we never find anybody that's ever been kicked out of the kingdom. So he's not in the kingdom, but he will reach an age when the atonement and that special provision does not cover him unless he has faith in Christ. That is the age of accountability. Now, the question is, when does that happen? What is that age? Well, there's some that suppose that's the age of 12. They'll go to the Bible and they'll look at Jesus when he was found in the temple. You remember the story when Jesus was 12 years old, that he was in the temple conversing with the priest and the scribes that were there. And they were just amazed at the learning that Jesus had. And so they said, well, that must be the age of accountability. That's the age of 12 years old because Jesus was in the temple. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It has no correlation at all. The age of 12 is not a magic number. And that what Jesus did in the temple has nothing to do with when a person becomes accountable to God. Then there are some who tie it to Jewish tradition, the tradition of the bar mitzvah. Now, bar mitzvah means son of the law. For a girl, it's called the bat mitzvah, and that's the daughter of the law. For boys, that would be the age of 13, For girls, the age of 12, and it roughly corresponds to the time of puberty. Now, what the Jews believe is that up until the time that a boy reaches 13 years old, that the parents are responsible for his obedience to the law. But when he reaches 13 and he has that bar mitzvah, then he becomes responsible himself or the, girl at thir- uh, the boy at 13, the girl at 12, that they become responsible to the law of God for themselves, and they answer for themselves. So they say the age for accountability for boys is, is 13, and the age for girls is 12. Well, salvation has nothing at all to do with puberty. That doesn't mean that it's time for you to be saved or not to be saved because a child has entered puberty. Now, what I think that the Bible shows is that children 
will become accountable to God at different ages. It depends upon their ability to understand. Now, there are parents that have brought their children to me, and we sit down and we talk about salvation, and it's very clear to me that at a young age, they don't really understand the consequences of sin. Now, they know that sin is bad, and they know that Jesus is good, but they haven't been brought under this terrible weight of sin so they understand the consequences of the sin that they commit against God. Now, just because a child can recite Bible verses and because he can sing, Jesus loves me, does not mean that that child really understands. And so parents bring in children to me. Some of them are five and six and seven, eight, nine, and ten. And it's very clear to me that they don't understand about how to be saved. But then on the other hand, there are children that come in and they can very clearly articulate the gospel. And they do know what I'm talking about. Now, uh, a few years ago, there was a family in the church that, that brought a five-year-old child in to talk with me. And I sat across the desk from this little five-year-old boy, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, I'm going to be a missionary. And then he proceeded to tell me about sin and about death and about trusting Christ and telling me what happens when people don't. And he told me how that there is no salvation in anyone but Jesus Christ, a five-year-old boy. And so listening to him, I was convinced that he understood. And so we took that little boy and we baptized him. But if he'd said to me, I understand all of this, I can articulate all of this, and he was better, folks, better than many adults that I've talked to on the subject, If he could articulate all of that, and he said to me, but I don't believe it. Well, I think the child had reached the age of accountability, and I would say that if he'd gone out, if something happened to him, that he would die and go to hell. But thank the Lord, he didn't leave that way. He trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and as I said, we baptized him. Well, that was a child that reached the age of accountability very early. Is that common? Not in my experience. I don't see it usually happening at such a young age. But what I will tell you, it doesn't happen, I don't think, when a child reaches 15. I don't know when it happens, but I would be very, very concerned about a child that reaches the age of 12 or 13 and they haven't yet trusted Christ. What you should do, now most of you are older, but some of you do have younger children, what you should do should be always training them up in the things of the Lord, and praying that God will open their eyes and save their souls. So I think the age varies. And I wouldn't want to sit idly by without doing all that I could do to see that my children hear and believe the gospel. Now let me say this also, that if you have a a good, solid Christian home, and your children are taught, and they are brought to church consistently, and they're attentive to what's going on, and they know what God requires, does there have to be an absolute set time that the child knows to the very minute when he trusted Christ? Well, I don't think that salvation comes by osmosis, but I will say this, that I do believe that conversion of a child can be so natural that you may not be able to pinpoint the exact time. And and telling the exact place may be difficult. 
But I don't want you to misunderstand that and don't think that your little heathens are saved just because it makes you feel good and takes the pressure off of you. No, any of them that are saved, the same elements of the gospel are true for them that's true for any believer. The same requirements are necessary for all. The same repentance and faith is required of every person. And so a child's conversion might look a little bit differently than adults, but something has happened to him, and it's the same thing that happens to those that are older. Well, we're about out of time, and there is one more question I want to get to. There, there are many more that we could talk about, but I have one more that I want to answer, and this is one that comes up from many concerned parents, and I think that you're very, very right in thinking about this. Number five is, will children be taken in the rapture? Now, when Christ returns to the earth, the Bible says that every believer will be changed into a glorified body, and they'll be raptured and taken into heaven. Now, rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. It's a translation of the Greek word harpazo that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, in that passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about Christ coming back, and he says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, there you see the two words, caught up. That's the Greek harpazo, or Latin rapturo. So the Bible says that all believers will be caught up into heaven, and then all unbelievers will be left behind to experience seven years of terrible tribulation. Now, during that time, much of the world's population will die horrible deaths. So what happens to the children when Jesus comes back? Well, we know that those that trust Jesus, I mean, we have no problem with that, that those that trust Jesus, they'll go to heaven. They're saved, and so they'll go to heaven. But for Christian parents, there's, there's a great deal of angst that occurs when you think about little children that have not yet reached the age where they can understand. So what happens to them when Jesus comes back? Well, we have a problem with it. And that's because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about it. And what we can't do is to build a doctrine on something that we can't certainly be sure of and say, well, it can't be any other way but this, that this is the way it has to be. I can't tell you that because the Bible doesn't have any specific verses that deal with this particular problem. But I think that we can find inferences in the Bible that give us some idea of what happens to those little children. Now, first of all, I would say that the Bible teaches that every Christian should joyfully anticipate the second coming of Christ. I mean, this is an event that we look forward to. Thinking about Jesus coming back, that should thrill every Christian that's in this room. We look for Jesus to come. Now, the Scripture says that the rapture is the blessed hope. And that's because we believe that Jesus could come at any moment. I mean, before I'm finished preaching the sermon, Jesus could come. Now, this is what Paul said about it in Titus chapter 2. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, the Bible calls the coming of Jesus blessed hope. It's a glorious appearing of our great God. Now, let me ask you, 
Would you joyfully look for the coming of Christ if you thought that your children would be left behind? Would you long for Jesus to come and yet believe that when he does come and you're caught up into heaven, that your little baby would be left in its crib to starve to death? Would you want Christ to come if you thought that that little toddler that's in your house, that Jesus would come, you would be caught up into heaven, and that little baby, that little toddler is left behind with no one to take care of him, who in just a few days would starve to death, wouldn't have any water, and that baby would die? Would you be comforted in Jesus coming back if you thought about that? Now, it's true that if those children died during the tribulation time, then they would go to heaven then. But would you want Christ to come back, and you're thinking about this, that he would come back and your child, children are left behind? Well, there doesn't seem to be much hope in that scenario. In fact, if that's the way that we thought it would be, that Christians would not anxiously anticipate the coming of Christ, that they would rather say, Jesus, stay away. Don't come back until my children are old enough to understand and they have believed. And that's the way it would be in every generation. Everybody would look at it that way. Well, that might be a carnal way to think, but that's the way we think, don't we? We wouldn't look for the coming of Christ and long for him to come if we think those children would be left behind. So I know that the Lord knows that. I know that he, he understands and he knows our heart. And so what I think that he does is he takes care of the children of believers that he gives them glorified bodies. If they haven't reached the age of accountability, then they'll be changed just like all the other people are changed and they'll be regenerated at that time and then they'll go to heaven to be with Christ. And I think that was taken care of in Christ's atonement. But here's the thing. I can't say that I have the same confidence for children of unbelievers. Now, there are some people who believe that those children will be taken as well but I think that this could well be one of the horrors of refusing to believe in Christ. And if those children die in the tribulation, then, of course, they, they would go to heaven. But I don't see the same compelling reason from the Scriptures that there would be a change for babies of unbelievers. Now, believers can expect it, I think, because it has bearing on their hope for Christ to come. But the unbeliever doesn't have that hope. He, he's not thinking about Christ coming, and so his children or the children of an unbeliever have no more advantage or hope for heaven than any person at any other time. Well, there's some people who would seek some consolation in this and they would say, well, when Christ comes back, the children will be left behind. But God changes our mind. That he makes us understand why he does what he does. And we know again that he does all things well. And so we would understand why he would leave those children behind. But I'm telling you something, that's not the way that we think. I mean, we think in the here and now. And we look for Christ because it is a blessed hope. And so no matter, again, no matter how carnal it might be, we would not look for the coming of Christ if we thought those children would be left. So here's what you need to be concerned about concerning your children. There is no doubt that Jesus is coming back. And the question is, are you concerned what happens to your children? Are you a born-again child of God? Are you in God's kingdom? Do you want your children to be safe when Jesus comes? I think that's a strong incentive for people to trust Jesus. One day we're going to stand before him, 
and we'll give an account of everything that we've done in our lives. And you will answer at that time for your sins. And one of the most grievous sins that there is, a sin that people commit every single day, is their unconcern for the souls of their children. Oh, yes, they're concerned that they get good jobs, and they're concerned that they get a good education, and they're concerned that they have fun. But you take a look and see what parents do on Sunday. Where are their children? Where is the concern that they have for their souls? Now, let me be very clear about this as I close today. Our text does say that Jesus really loves children. He said, suffer little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, he said, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he was angry at his disciples when they kept those children from coming to Jesus. Jesus wanted to bless them. And so he said, bring them to me. And here's the question for parents. Have you stopped your little ones from coming to Jesus? Look at your lifestyle and look at your priorities. Do they put you in some other place when your children could be listening to the Word of God and learning about Jesus Christ and have that opportunity to receive Him as Savior? And I would just say this. God have mercy on the souls of parents whose children die and go to hell because they would not bring their children to Jesus. What we need to do is to hear him. We need to obey him. And we ought not to forbid little ones to come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time spent in your word today. We look at hard questions. And some of these things we're not absolutely certain of, but we know that you are a loving Heavenly Father. We know, Lord, that you have your people at heart. Lord, I pray that parents in our congregation, parents of the Christians everywhere, people would realize that the children have eternal souls. The most important thing that we can do is teach them the Word of God to give them every opportunity that they could have to receive Christ as Savior. Lord, we'll be guilty when we stand before you if we haven't taken those opportunities. Pray, Lord, you speak to parents today, those of us that are older and grandparents, that I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do everything that we can to see that little children come to you. So, Lord, bless us. Help us to obey in this area. It is so important. The lives of little children. Children are the heritage of the Lord. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.